Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about pain. We start by defining pain and how it's really an alarm designed to protect our bodies. We talk about the evolutionary benefits of pain, chronic pain, how pain doesn't equal damage, how the body learns from pain, and we cover how to use pain to your advantage. Physical pain is something that every human is going to deal with at some point, and it seems like the common culture today really tries to hide it instead of working to determine its root cause. Hopefully this episode helps you better understand and deal with pain in your own life and help family and friends do the same. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by TFC App. With an expanding global tribe of foot nerds, we set out to create a platform that will allow the tribe to share our learning journey with others and inspire, uh, inspire people around the world to live a more natural lifestyle. Only you can be the hero of your own health journey, and we wanted to create a free app that delivers science-based health education so that we can guide and inspire you to reconnect with health. Our team is refining the features and uploading content during the month of October, and we're set for a full public release on November 1st. Until then, you can download the app on the iOS or Google App Stores, uh, and you can see descriptions of all the features that will launch in November. This episode is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC Head Office in Ottawa are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m. And this unique subscription, uh, or this unique company rather, uh, has a cool subscription service that gives you three great coffees, delivers it to your door each month, and also gives you the story behind the craft roasters that each of them comes from. You can check out theroasterspack.com and use the, foot, use the code FOOT at checkout for seven bucks off your first month of any subscription. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases in Canada with um, their professional grade hard cases, and they can keep your electronics safe during travel. You can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. So let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today's episode is going to be uh, pain. We talked about pain as kind of a subtopic in episode 29, but we wanted to take a deeper dive into the topic. Uh, it's a really complex, very interesting, and very compelling topic that I think affects everyone. And we're... As the research kind of catches up, we're understanding more and more about it. And so sharing our journey into learning more about pain through these podcasts is kind of the best way for to keep everyone looped in um, of how our thinking is evolving. So, you know, like all topics related to health in the human body, uh, it's a very complex one. And um, we're only going to kind of scratch the surface based on what we know right now. But we figured it would be uh, potentially a value for everyone to kind of understand this stuff. So I think a good place to start is to talk about how pain affects everyone. Yeah. Right? Like if you're a kid or you're an adult, you're going to have pain at some point in your life. It is not something to be avoided. It's just, it is a thing. And to define it, going back, I think we used this definition before um, in the fibromyalgia case, but I just, the, the working definition that I found was an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage. And I highlighted a few of those words. So an unpleasant sensory and emotional. So the two things, it, it's, it's the combination of those things. It's not yeah, just it's one both. or the other. And then I circled experience. So the pain is not necessarily, it's not just a sensation. It's like the experience of having, the whole experience of having pain because there's, it's so complex, which we'll get into. Yeah. But I think that is a pretty good definition because it highlights the fact that is, 
an experience and it is associated with actual or potential tissue damage in a lot of cases but and i think potential is a, a powerful word there too because yeah. as we're going to talk about pain doesn't always mean that something bad is going wrong structurally or in terms of damage in the body but it's a signal that signals a threat whether that's a real threat or not um, and yeah, that's the definition I had written down too. I think it comes from the International Association for the Study of Pain. So uh, it seems like that's the right spot to, to get a standardized definition. Yeah. So even just starting, like, I think you had that sheet uh, from Greg Lehman's course. And one of the things he said on there is that pain is an alarm meant to protect. Yeah. And I think if people look at pain with that mindset, it really does change it changes how you acknowledge and how you actually deal with pain. If you know that it's there as a signal to protect and not just as something that's an annoyance to be gotten rid of. Exactly. Which I think is the common conception that a lot of people take. It's part of our body's, you could say, defense system. And it, going back to evolutionary terms and survival terms, it's it really is is that alarm that is trying to really keep us, keep us safe. It's trying to keep yeah. us alive and survive. Um, that... It, I read a book recently too about evolutionary psychology and, and really it's it's that like this kind of stuff is not meant to be right all the time. It, it's just meant to allow us to survive and it's trying to give us the best chances to survive. So that's yeah. all the system is trying to do. Um, it can go awry and it can be wrong a lot, but it's better to be wrong a lot and keep it alive than to be not, you know, not sensitive enough. And that's that's one of the big things about pain is that it's it, pain is not you know, it, it's different among everybody and it, because yeah. of the nature of it. Um, You're right. It's better to be wrong as a misfire and send out false pain signals than it is to be wrong in not sending a signal when you should be sending one. Exactly. So, so, the, the, so false, the misfires are okay. Exactly. In terms of the brain's understanding. False alarms are, are part of the system. Yeah. Any, any sur like surveillance system or alarm system that you have, there, there can be false alarms and, and like if you have an alarm system on your house and like, uh, I don't know, an animal fires the system up and, and the alarm system goes off and it, and it awakens you all. And it's like, oh, it was just an animal. OK, now we figured it out. We, we can calm it back down. We can turn the, the alarm off. But again, it's better that that went off than the alarm system just didn't work. And then a, a burglar comes in one night exactly. and, and it's like, oh, the alarm system just sometimes doesn't work. And guess what? When the alarm goes off, before you know that it was an animal that did that, it's freaky. Right. Yeah. Like you should be worried that there's a burglar until you're proven wrong. And I think so many people, the alarm of pain goes off and they're never given an understanding. They're never given an understanding of why the pain is there, that that's just an animal. It's a misfire. Right. Like we, we suck in the rehab and health world to in under in helping people understand what the pain is there, why the pain is there, you know, what the mechanism is and how it can potentially be a misfire. So until they're proven that, then pain sucks and, and yeah. it doesn't go away. And I think that's part of this whole conversation is give people a better understanding of pain and they become more empowered to manage it or understand it or, you know, be able to have feel more control over the pain instead of just being on the roller coaster of pain. Exactly, because it is intimately attached to emotions and the emotional re reactions that are that are part of pain. Um, you can't really separate emotions from pain. It's part of that kind of alarm system that happens. So until you kind of step outside of it and, and analyze it a bit deeper. Um, evolution is really good at designing elegant mechanisms. Like, yeah. you know, why does sex feel good? Well, because evolution wanted you to have sex to, to propagate your genes, right? For sure. And like, we like to put these neat 
you know, simple explanations and, and, and dumb things down. But in reality, even what we're going to talk about today is a gross oversimplification of pain. But I think being able to kind of um, take it into individual blocks and simplify things is how you start to have conversations. But we're not pretending we know everything about pain. What was interesting, though, diving into the research a bit, this uh, the Scandinavian Journal of Pain, um, that article that we both read by uh, Brodel. Brodel, yeah, Brodel. It's uh, per per Brodel. Yeah, so it's called the Neurobiologist's Attempt to Understand Persistent Pain, and it is a tremendous article available at uh, uh, El Sevier uh, Journal Database or whatever. So maybe we should pick apart a few points from that that we both found fairly interesting, and sure. I think one of them just talking related to what we were just talking about is that they're saying that the pain almost basically the brain has this salience network that they define it as meaning it's it's trying to pick up particularly particularly noticeable um or important things in our environment yeah so part of the salience network is these these parts of the brain that actually light up when pain is present but they light up when other things are present so you could call this part of the actual alarm system um, the insula and the anterior cingulate drivers are two key areas that tend to always light up when pain is present in pain studies. Um, so these the and other areas such as the amygdala, emotional response to pain. Basically, it's this network that's not necessarily specific to to pain in and of itself, but it picks up pain it, among other things. So salience really, you know, if you look up the definition, it says the quality of being particularly noticeable or important. So mm -hmm. that network's role is to pick out elements from the environment like incoming stimuli that it deems to be important enough to send off to the next level of kind of uh judgment i guess you could say in the exactly. brain exactly and pain just happens to be very salient because it deems it very important in yeah, a lot of cases it could be a threat to survival that's the exactly. most important thing right so you this salience network is the brain's kind of surveillance system surveilling the environment and saying like are we okay here should we proceed should we back off um pain like what's this like it's all threats it's detection it's survival um so so that's kind of a good way they're they're looking at pain as um uh, as part of this so you could call it like this a subset of that could be like the pain system or the pain network that they were talking about yeah um and it is associated with with nociception, so like stimulus from the environment that would cause this system to come awry, to come on. Um, but it does; it's not limited to that. And pain can persist far beyond the point. Pain can exist without um, quote unquote nociceptor nociception too. So there's even done studies that that pain can come about with through hypnosis, through suggestion. Pain can come about. There doesn't necessarily need to be things poking or prodding or cutting or damaging us. Yeah. Um, well, I remember that story that we talked about before that we were in physio school, a guy was, um, a carpenter was building something and he shot a nail through his boot mm -hmm. directly clean through, went through and through. And he was in excruciating pain, like wailing, crying. It was like, and then he goes to the hospital and when they get to the hospital, they, um, start to take the boot off and they realize that the nail actually missed his foot. It went between two toes. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he saw that, all the pain went away. But until then, he essentially had the same amount of pain that he would have had if a nail went through his foot. So your brain's exactly. perception, and like the visual stimuli there was actually what the salient network picked up as being relevant, a relevant threat. Yeah. But it doesn't, there was zero physical damage. So, yeah. you know, what's going on there? I think it's a good illustration of how complex pain is when it really is all systems of your body trying to compute whether something is a threat or not. And sometimes other signals or cues can actually supersede the physical signals that come from direct damage to tissues exactly and and part of that is like 
the pain system, its sensitivity, like we already hinted at, is that by nature it, it is it's a good thing for the pain system to be sensitive to to a lot of different things because of that false alarm effect. Yeah. So that's that's inherently part of it because um, we don't want it to miss these homeostatic threats to our to our survival. Um, and it's not very specific. So so again, it, it doesn't it can't really tell how much of a threat one thing is or like this is all part of the, the complexity of it. It's, it doesn't mean it's not associated with like more pain is not associated with uh, more damage. Or, yeah. And a lot of people think that like, oh, yeah. it must be very painful. Uh, there must be a lot of damage occurring then. Not necessarily. There could be no damage, actually. Um, exactly. It could just be perceived damage in, from that original definition. So. Um, the, the other part of it from that, from that article that it really, um, riffed on was the fact that it's, uh, it's highly plastic and, and it, um, it quickly learns associations. So it's very, very like it on the fly, it can make all these connections and associations and that, that can dictate our behavior and particularly our protective behavior associated with the pain. So that learning to be like learning to avoid behaviors that cause pain, learning to avoid movements that cause pain. Yeah. This can just get quickly learned quickly. It's like the limping example. Um, you know, you, you do something to, to hurt your knee and then you start limping. What is limping? Limping is a protective response from your body. Um, to bear you, less you, weight you, through that limb. Exactly. And you, you learn it. And, and again, again, a lot of people don't. It's all this is all subconscious going on under the hood type of thing for a lot of people. Um, that's where it gets complex. It's like your bodies are just doing its thing. Um and this, this system's working and it's like, maybe that is good for you. And, and maybe that one time where you, you should be limping because something in there is, is actually really going wrong. Maybe there's a mix of things other times where the limping might be, might be good at first, but then it becomes something that is not good. But when you're limping for a month after exactly. the injury is healed, your brain learned a response. It basically learned the behavior that it was doing to avoid pain or avoid damage potentially and forgot to unlearn it. And I think exactly. this is where like this persistent whole, pain, this whole chronic pain, persistent pain thing. I think a lot of it is just the brain forgetting to unlearn the pain when the actual threat, the actual real threat, not the misfire is gone. Exactly. It just didn't stop that learning it, pattern. It didn't stop learning the pain and learning the, the behaviors and the, the thoughts and the perceptions associated with the pain. So they might yeah. be doing all of these same things that, that were, that were around when they initially had the pain. And this is like another point is like this might happen well beyond the point of actual physiological healing. So yeah. like maybe you do actually cut yourself or tear uh, partially tear a muscle or whatever it might be. Well, if we look at actual healing times, the, oftentimes, the, you know, the stages of healing, they're, they're fairly, you know, they do alter. There, there's differences in them, but you can you can be like, OK, six to eight weeks uh, yeah. with a partial tear. In okay, general, cool. there in are general, good parameters to know. Good parameters. I, I think when people know that that helps. Yeah. When you tell someone when you have an injury, if you know you're doing everything to make it to create an environment where it can heal effectively, right? Which I think goes beyond just you know movement is a big one where if you just avoid movement, it doesn't really heal. And that might be part of sort of jump in, but that might be part of the original good thing about the protective response yeah. is, is that you're allowing you might be allowing it to heal by not continually disturbing disturbing the yep. the insulted area. But then when is it not right? So exactly, but but. What I was trying to say is just like when people know average healing times, mm -hmm. I think it empowers them with a lot of information to know because then they can self-evaluate, right? If they get a little like a little bit of pain or something like that, they should know, okay, well, you know, if this caused an injury six to eight weeks, I should be feeling significantly better. Mm -hmm. And if they can essentially 
understand that having pain beyond eight weeks is an alarm bell that they need to go. They need to find someone to help them understand how to troubleshoot and get rid of this. You avoid people falling into the trap of having, oh, I've had pain for 10 years. Yeah. Like what? That should never happen. Like the low back pains. Exactly. The the, the chronic persistent pains that are they really there? And and people will attribute it back to when they, it's very common. Like they'll attribute the like, I, you know, I lifted something five years ago and that's what started. So it's, so again, it's like that initial, that initial injury is, we're not dealing with that anymore. Exactly. Right. So it's, we're dealing with something else and it's important for them to like the initial injury. You tell them, okay, that, that little, that back tweak that you got, that was probably, that probably healed in whatever sense we, whatever definition we use for healed, but um, in six to eight weeks and they'd be like, oh, okay. So what's going on now? Well, we don't know what's going on now. It's this complexity of the whole system. Maybe you're still behaving the same way, specifically with when it comes to movement. You're behaving the same way in, in this protective fashion that that cause that initially may have helped you a little bit, but now it's become its own beast, its own animal that we have to uh, to address. So, Man, and you like sometimes the medical system feeds into that so hard, or oh, yeah. it's like very frustrating, right? When you get someone that like okay, they hurt their back or their back hurts. Okay, let's not talk. Maybe it wasn't an acute injury. Maybe it was just like sitting itis that caught up to them or whatever it is. They don't know how to use their bodies and their back hurts. And then they go to a health professional and the health professional is trying to help them, right? Like, let's give them benefit of the doubt and say like, they're trying to help them, trying to give them good advice. And they say, yeah, you shouldn't lift anything over 10 pounds ever. Never do that. That is dangerous. That is a terrible piece of advice. And I think that that feeds into this long-term learning effect where, okay, I go see someone really smart that knows about health and they tell me not to do this, that must mean that that is a dangerous thing to do and I need to never do it. Well, if you think that, then every time you lift something over 10 pounds, you have the potential to ring the alarm bells, which are really a false alarm based on the body, but are a are a true alarm based on your mental perception that lifting something above 10 pounds is dangerous. And it's yeah. really, it sucks. You just ramped that alarm. So the person coming in it. with the, the problem already is an oversensitized alarm bell. Mm-hmm. What did you do to the person? You just increased the sensitivity of it. You just <laughs> ramped it up even more. Yeah. So now they're now they're like, oh, I'm, and the, and the same applies to giving them images of their spine, for instance. Yeah, oh, you just further worse. ramped up the the already overly sensitized, um, you know thing associated with pain so obviously you're going to find shit if you did an mri on your spine and my spine there would probably be some gnarly stuff in there but we don't have pain we don't have any injuries we're not limited in any way not everyone has a perfect mri and x-ray and i think i really whether it's conscious or subconscious or they're not trying to i think a lot of medical professionals can sometimes if they don't know the answer they look to imaging but what they do without even knowing it is that the imaging becomes a massive source of fear for that patient because now they've been now they have a label saying you have something wrong with your spine because this exactly. is what we're seeing and i think a lot of times they're not trying to use fear as a way to like you know continue a dependent relationship i think some people do but mm-hmm. i think a lot of times they're searching for an answer that they can't find with just basic things like oh you sit all day yeah Let's fix that first before we take a picture of your spine, expose you to radiation and find some weird shit that might not even be related. Or you're fearful of of moving, which is the other big one. And I think that comes down to to the meaning part of pain, like the the meaning you you attribute or somebody else attributes to your pain. Um, And that's that's a that's a big one is is what does it what does it mean to you? And I think we're all um, I think we're a lot of practitioners and and people in general 
when they talk to people about their, they're not on the same page. We're all on different pages as to what pain means to like, cause, cause pain to me means something completely different than, than one of my clients. Yeah. So, so if we don't, if we don't aren't on a similar uh, page with what it means, or if I don't know what it means to them, then I'm actually just kind of guessing and, and I'm not doing yeah. my best job at it. You're assuming they understand it in the same way you do, which is yeah. obviously not the same. I need to figure out, I think like, what is it, why, like, why is, what does it actually mean to you? And you might, yeah. you need to get this out in, in the form of like, you know, questions, like Socratic questions, like just kind of questioning as opposed to just like lecturing them on what pain is. And I think we can go too far with the whole pain science thing yep. as well. Um, there's a, there's a middle ground that's perfect where you have, you essentially make sure that they have a base understanding of pain. You have mutual agreement on the nomenclature of what words mean what. Because we're yeah. even talking about that, like certain words can mean totally different things to different people. Yeah. And if you don't clarify the nomenclature and what those terms refer to, you can create a lot of confusion in what you're saying and in what they're interpreting. Exactly. So, but there's Maybe. a sweet spot for sure. And I think a good idea is to to try to before you go deep down the road of all this this stuff with your client, maybe um, try to get out try to uncover what their meaning is of it right now at this yeah. point. So then you have a better baseline to know like, okay, that's what, okay, that makes sense. That's what you're thinking of it right now. So here's what, let's start talking about maybe some, some differences in, in what it, it might actually mean. Um, but until we know that we were talking about the example of like, I was doing some stretching last night, like some, some deep loaded mobility. And I was and it, it was intense. Like it, it was really intense. Um, and I it was with my brother and I was like, well, I was already thinking this pain because we we're doing the the um, podcast today. But uh, I was like, this sense it's a sensation right now, and it's really deep, and it's and it could be considered intense. But to me, it's not painful yeah. because it actually is something that I I actually appreciate and I like, and I'm purposely doing that on yeah. purpose because partially I I actually don't mind the feeling, but also I know that it's going to bring me more benefit thereafter. And you're aware that that's not doing damage. And I, I know that's it's not the doing biggest da- distinguisher exactly. is you know the physiology of the joint you're working on and know that you're not ramming two bones together. That's the thing. It's uncomfortable as shit sometimes, but you know I'm not doing long-term damage. In fact, I'm actually benefiting my body. Yeah. So it's it's really hard because if someone doesn't have that understanding, exactly. how do you convey the point that sometimes that is an area that not only can, but actually needs to be worked into yeah without them just ramming into pain like it's it's they might perceive that same there's an art to thing it. as something very exactly that comes down to we're on different pages already yeah it, it, because we exactly we don't know like somebody might think that that is bad even if you're telling them that, like that is okay they might just from whatever they're learning throughout their history and their lifetime and them not expo- doing that before they might think holy crap this is this is not good. This is going to hurt something. It's going to tear something, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like it is weird. So it's just communicate. It's the same thing. It boils down to just, you know, like at FRC, wow, I did that course recently and they talk about closing angle joint pain and how yeah. there's, you know, they didn't talk a huge amount on it, but they did cover it and talked about how, you know, where the pain is and the qualities of that pain can help to tell you whether it's a joint problem that you shouldn't be leaning into or whether it is a cramping or capsular tension problem that you can lean into. For sure. And so I just think that that distinction, that's really where, and every person that comes in to see you is completely different. This is where the art of being a health professional comes in because you have to, you can't take the same cookie cutter. I think with general health guidelines, like what we're going to try and give through TFC app, just giving general guidelines of like, 
Here's how you sit less. Mm-hmm. Here's the features to look for in a shoe. That stuff can be given to everyone. And that's like mm-hmm. 70% of it. But the specific stuff, when you're working with someone on a specific problem, you need to understand that person. And that is a very nuanced, like that organism has a lot of baggage associated with it. Like a lot what of is learned stuff. a lot of learned stuff, a lot of learned patterns, a lot of compensatory patterns that they might've been working with functionally right Mm -hmm. for a long time all compensations are adaptive they're a solution to a problem your body encountered and whether that solution can be done long term or not depends on whether it was efficient or effective but there's a lot going on and i think the perception of pain um is a big one to get on the same page with oh for sure because the whole biopsychosocial approach i agree with and and i know you do too but like if you go to one extreme of the continuum, you're like, okay, this person comes in and they sit all day and they can't do a squat and their knees hurt. I don't give a shit how much biosocial, psychosocial factors are going on. That person needs to learn how to move. They need to so move there is, more. So there's and... a conversation to be had about like, yes, I agree with that part, but there's also a physical element. That person needs to put in some work. It's not just wrap their head around how pain is not, you know, all this kind of stuff. It, exactly. There's both. It's both in that because that feeds into like I looked up some of the the research on exercise and pain and like across the board for chronic pain, it tends to be very like simply just raising your heart rate and moving your body on a regular basis is like great for pain. (laughs) Like so that's just like it doesn't they're like it doesn't even matter what you a lot of the studies like just get on a bike, just do something, get your heart rate up. And then it's like, oh, go on your tiptoes. Who gives a shit? Exactly. So there's a component of like people need to just like move more in general. And that is one of the best like quote unquote painkillers, because I think what that does is it gives us more, it updates our, it gives us more information. It gives our system more information on, and it puts us in different situations and be like, the system responds this way in this situation. When I move this way, like it just moving more gives you more for your pain system to work with and determine what is actually threatening and what is not. Yeah. And if you're not just, if you're simply not putting enough information or data into the pain system, you might just perceive things that are out of like, you know what I mean? It's just hundred percent. That's a really good way of framing it actually, because you're basically, you know, if right now you have the perception that there's like 50 movements that are all potentially dangerous, you shouldn't be doing. And there's only 20 that you can do. Well, if you do, if you move more and you all of a sudden have now a hundred movements that are safe and they're still only now you have way more safe movement than unsafe yeah. movement. So your fear of movement has automatically been lowered and the sensitization of your whole system has been lowered because yeah. now there's more safety than exactly. danger. The salience network is like, well, I've been here uh, hundreds of times before and I've been here too. And I've been everywhere here because yeah. we move a lot. So, Oh cool. We move a lot. This has all been good in the past. We've done this in the past. Oh, when I've done this in the past, it's felt this way but I've been good the next day. Cool. That's more information. We just update the information in the salience network. And that's just by simply moving your body more. Yeah. And and then again, we can get into, yes, for performance and for, for efficiency and for things like this, then we can get into like, okay, well now biomechanics do matter. Giving you different movement options matters. If you want to, if you want to actually move or run faster because you like running, that matters. Now we can talk a bit. Now we can go into like hardcore detail about, about, um, you know, di- biomechanics and stuff. But I think at the start, it's just, like the exercises and pain studies, just move more. And that, that is like the first step um, and, and be more aware. I think moving more and being aware of how you're moving, um, aware of your movement, aware of everything as you're moving. Yeah. Com- combining the awareness with the movement because I think that is just the updating the data thing. Uh, and I think it's funny because I think people have been so bred to be told what to do when it comes to ex- quote unquote exercise or For movement sure. that they don't even know what 
what they can do. And it's like, okay. And, and, and this kind of hit home when uh, at FRC, they're talking about what is the definition of functional, right? Functional exercise, functional movement. This word has yeah. been thrown around a lot. And, you know, he gave, uh, I think, uh, Dewey. Dewey gave a good example. He's like, are bicep curls functional? And everyone's like, well, no. And then he's like, well, what if you're a jiu-jitsu player and you're trying to stop someone from shredding your arm off of your body with an arm bar? Yeah. Well, doing bicep curls is really functional because it yeah. actually gives you a lot more resistance to put against that arm bar to stop your arm from being ripped off. So for True. that person, so really what I learned from that is all movement, whether it's functional or not, is based on context. And the average person just has to know what movements do you do in your day-to-day life? Practice those movements. Do them without having to achieve a task, right? If you have to lift the garbage uh, out of the garbage can, well, mimic that with like a bag of groceries and just do it a bunch of times. See and, how it And feels. do it in different ways and see what... Exactly. Like, again, like where do biomechanics matter? Okay, well, do it in different ways and, and then you'll figure out, oh, Tinker when I do it. it in this way, it's easier to do and it feels better. <laughs> exactly. So that like we could call that like, oh, or does, it doesn't matter. Like any movement's a good movement. Cool, but... If you do it in 10 different ways and one feels the best and it's the easiest, we'll do that more. Yeah. Like it's just, I again, think you just found the most efficient way to yeah. do that movement. So, and again, like I hate this argument of like the, the biomechanics thing, but that's all related to this pain thing too, because it's, it's self discovering, um, ways that you can move your body that, that, well, first of all, if you do it as one of those ways and it always reproduces pain, well, maybe you should. Maybe you should learn from that. Maybe that's a case where you should learn from it. Yeah. And then if you do it in a bu- five other ways and they don't have pain, and they feel kind of so, right? So again, it's just this updating this People this have to data be able to point. tinker with it. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing, the fitness industry tells you, you need to do a squat this yeah. way with these mechanics. And guess what? It's nuanced because if you want to lift 500 pounds, you probably should do it that way because that's yeah. the best use of your leverage and it's the most efficient path to take to use all of your joints and as many muscles as possible. But guess what? The average person has to squat to take crap doesn't matter how they yeah. do it. They just have to play with what feels the best and what yeah. feels the easiest and use that. Or like even like beyond that is like our squat. Should I be doing squats or should I not be? People will ask you the, like you said before, people are confused as to like, what should I be doing? Yeah. Because we've been told no. one doctor says, no, don't do squats because they're bad for your knees. Um, and then the other person says, well, no, we should be doing squats, but you have to squat this way rigidly. Yeah, and, then, and then it's like, well, should just I, confused. Be, I don't know if I should do them or, or not. And then I don't know how I should do them. But yeah. then it comes down to that. It's like, but again, if you're squatting with your knees jutting forward and caving in. And, and you again, get pain every time. And you get pain every time. And it, we're not necessarily saying that's an, a bad, it might not necessarily be bad if you're, uh, if you're ready for the movement, if you're um, prepared for the movement, and if you can control the movement. And you're aware that there's other ways of moving and you can reproduce those other ways. That might not be bad. But for the person that's the only way they're doing it and it hurts and they're not prepared and they don't know there's other options, maybe we need to explore other options, right? So it's all all context. Exactly. Everything boils down to context, which is why so many discussions go the wrong way on social media, in person, because people fail to appreciate the importance and actually the requirement for context to be basically understood before you even have a conversation about something because it's just and it's really it's very nuanced in that people if you do not create a baseline of nomenclature in terms of me and you understanding what terms mean and me and you both understanding the context to which we're speaking in Mm -hmm. every conversation sucks because obviously we're going to disagree we have totally different mindsets on what we're even talking about that's why like the energy wasted when i look at instagram threads I, i see energy 
I see energy being wasted. Yes. Because it's and I and then I imagine the person like it, it's it's almost like a thought experiment. Like wow, this person is probably sitting there, and you see comments that go back and forth between even reputable or what we call reputable like practitioners in the healthcare world. Yep. Just and it's like holy crap, um, this is just. what you said, maybe a simple context thing would have solved this whole thing. And you wasted literally hours because I can see the actual timeline on all this. (laughs) And it's it's like, wow, you guys are really unaware. Like maybe you want to waste energy. I don't know. Or maybe you like doing that. Maybe that turns you on. But but again, it's something that like I don't I think a lot of people don't aren't aware of like how much energy they're wasting and it's not the best medium. And this is really this is yet another reason why the importance creating an app sucks it's really one of the most frustrating things because there's so many like if you have one comma in the code that you didn't know was there i mean i know nothing about coding but that can throw off the functionality of the entire of the entire system or the entire kind of feature trying to engineer so it's frustrating but the thing that propels us forward to be like this is too important to not to give up despite how frustrating it is is because you can create a platform that takes into account context that tries mm. to be nuanced in these conversations and also backs everything by science. Science does not give a shit about anyone's opinion. It just mm-hmm. doesn't. And it's the only anchor that can bring us all together to have a solid conversation of just, does th- is this testable? Did this pass the test? Can someone else test it and refute it? If it can and it abides by those principles, then it is a good enough piece of content to put out as truth with always being open-minded that someone's going to refute it. The tool of science is to prove you wrong. That's what it's there for. It's always going to do that. But people just aren't being given, like it's so muddy. Like you just said, the trainer said this, the doctor said this, I see this on Google. It's confusing. So it's creating like content that that gives people a a solid, clear idea of of what they can start to do. Exactly. So, and what does that lead to? Like... That leads right back into to the pain discussion. Yeah, let's bring that, it back because we got a little. No, but far. that's that's essentially what it it all is. Is that the the mass confusion about it all is is a big player when it comes to because what is the modality that we want to use to get people out of pain uh, movement? So yeah. so when there's such mass confusion over this movement, um, that's that's what kind of muddies the waters. So I think it's it's important and. Um, like we've talked about with pain already, it's poorly related to damage. It's very complex. Our, our thoughts and emotions and all of that get tied into it. It's it's a uh, it's a survival at, at its core. It's a survival mechanism that's uh, that's kind of been bred into our into our systems. I think one point that they make there is separating, like making a distinction between pain as a sensation or an experience, whatever that experience means for that person, and the underlying mechanism. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you it seems simple, but when you intertwine those two things, it completely changes the dynamic of how you have conversations about pain, right? If knee pain means problem with knee, then it, it, it makes you zone in on the knee and maybe at the expense of looking elsewhere where the problem actually is, right? It's, it's how the person perceives the total situation around the pain, including yeah. what they think about. And, and again, getting on the same page of that is key. What what I found, it, there was one actual study that I, that I looked at and it was like back to that learning and memory of, of pain, um, especially chronic pain. Yep. There was this amnesia study where, I don't know if you saw this one, but... Um, it was in the article, right? Yeah, there's yeah. case reports. There's <laughs> been case reports of people having amnesia because of a little like uh, brain insult that caused them to lose their memory of, of their past and then w- and almost essentially wake up um, afterwards uh, as a different person. But along with that... There, there's been case reports of people with chronic pain having amnesia 
and waking up with no, no recollection of pain or no pain. <laughs> so they went from the person of, like that almost, again, those are very um, outliers, but, outlier but still studies it illustrates shows something us, Shows us something. It's very interesting. It's like you can literally wake up and along with all the other things you forgot, you forgot the pain yeah. and you're the same body. You you're forgot the same these learned are, neural pathways that signal pain because of an oversensitization of the symptom of the, uh, of the situation or the signal. That's yeah, it's very and, and even like placebo nocebo. Talk about that cuff experiment oh, yeah. too, because that was interesting. So so it's like the expectations that of what pain's gonna do, um, like placebo versus nocebo is a bit is a big part of this. And there was a study that showed like when they they introduced ischemic type pain, so they actually put like a cuff on somebody like and a like blood pressure cuff limited people like blood flow to an area, um, and and it's a, an uncomfortable feeling for sure. But they told one group of participants that that it was actually really good for their muscles when they did this to them, <laughs> and they told the other group that it they didn't tell them that they told them that it like we you know we can't leave it on for too long because it can potentially uh, harm things. So the group that they told that it was actually really good for them, they didn't perceive, they hardly perceived any pain or no pain in a lot of cases. Um, and then the other group w thought, found the pain uh, much higher and, and in a lot of cases excruciating. So it was the perception of what the thing was going to do to them that determined their level of pain. So that comes back to like, if you think something's going to be damaging you more, um, it's whether it is feel, or not, whether it is or not, the same thing can be much more influential and much more sensitive on your pain system. Whereas if you think uh, something is not going to be damaging or if you think something is actually good for you, like the deep stretch example that we we used, then it's something it's going to be a sensation. You're going to feel it in your muscles and your joints and all of that. But it's not pain and, and then it's not it's not fear. It's not threat. It's not threat to survival. It's not all of that stuff tied into the pain. So then that means the actual pain comes down what we would consider pain comes down yeah so i think another thing to talk about with pain is uh how best to use pain okay so pain is like this very intelligent mechanism that our bodies have adapted over thousands and millions of years to essentially warn us that there's a problem so that we can deal with it right it's like it's a tool our body uses to essentially change our behavior mm -hmm. to eliminate a potential threat and i think you know a couple places because I, I find pain extremely useful, right? Like, especially sure. when building a tolerance or when trying something new. So if you're, um, for example, if you're running and, and I think here's where people mess up. They essentially take pain and try and push it off as much as they can without yeah. changing the underlying behavior that's creating the pain until the pain literally stops them from being able to do anything. Yeah. Right. And that's, it's such a weird, it's such that's a weird a, thing. One group of, one group of people... I guess you could clump people no, into multiple categories, but if you simplified it down to like the people who push through it all the time, or you could say there's a subset of people who push through it a lot. And then there's a subset of people that avoid, avoid everything. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what person are you dealing with? The person who kind of like just goes through it so far and like tries to cover it up, tries to run through it, tries to, uh, until you can't anymore or yeah. the person who like feels one thing and then is scared oh i don't run anymore i don't do this thing they avoid everything now so and like one group of people would have to i think they both have to end up on the same in the same place they both need to get back into what they were doing one person might need to really reduce load go back to the basics see if they can work on things that improve that the one person might actually need to be right away exposed they may be like hey no you need to actually get into this now like we need to actually go there quicker the other yeah. person, no, we need to hold back. So so it's like, who are we dealing with? What type of person are we dealing with? Right. So But a lot of that's just cleaning up the relationship with pain. Not yeah, yeah. not trying to postpone it as much as possible until it stops you dead in your tracks. It's like, 
when I get pain, I use it right away. I use mm-hmm. the signal of what that told me right away. And you try stuff. And you try stuff and you tinker mm-hmm. like, oh, I wonder why that created pain. If I do it differently, does it still create pain? Oh, it doesn't create any pain that way. Why could that be happening? And I think if every time you experience pain, and, and this happens all the time, like people in my family or close friends will say, oh, geez, my knee kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they expect me to be the wizard of, of solutions. Be like, oh, it's because you did this, this, and this. It's like, the first thing I ask them is, why? And yeah. I wait uncomfortably long until they respond. And guess what? Most people, as soon as I say why, you almost see it in their in their facial reaction. They're searching for things that they might have done mm-hmm. that day or the day before that could have triggered it. And sometimes I have to wait a long time for them to speak. But when I do that, they're like, oh, well, I did this yesterday and it kind of felt weird when I was doing it, but I didn't get pain, but now it hurts. And it's like you see them self-realizing like they didn't just look at pain as something that happened to them. They looked at pain as a byproduct of something they did Mm -hmm. that they might not have realized would have caused them pain at the time. But they're now creating the essentially the pattern recognition of knowing, ah, that was that could have been the trigger. It might not have been. Mm -hmm. right but what i always tell people is like pain doesn't happen out of nowhere right like sometimes it's a misfire but most of the time even if it's a misfire it's because of something you did so if people just ask themselves i wonder why this hurts or didn't do or didn't do exactly if you didn't move all day yeah it might hurt to move yeah but i think people just have to ask themselves i'm getting pain why is it because I did something more repetitive than usual? Did I load my body up more than normal? And I think for a lot of people, this helps when building a tissue tolerance. So if they start go bare, going barefoot or start transitioning to a natural shoe with walking and their foot hurts a little bit, well, it doesn't mean what you're doing is bad. It mm-hmm. means you have to evaluate how you're doing it. Maybe load you're doing management. too much, right? Maybe you have to do a couple extra things to make sure you can actually do that and not get pain. But I really think if you give the power back to the person, to understand pain at a superficial level. And like we talk about this all the time, the body's insanely complex. We don't understand the body fully. No one does. If anyone says they do, they're watch out because mm-hmm. even the best neuroscientists in the world, the most advanced, smartest people immediately will say, we don't understand shit when it comes mm-hmm. to the brain. We're starting to understand more, but we don't really understand much. And I think it's kind of like your iPhone. You use an iPhone, you use it to do the purpose you want, right? You send messages, emails, whatever. You don't know every single part in the iPhone or how iPhones work, right? I still get confused as to how the hell we have a supercomputer that can talk to other people on the other side of the world and just hold it in one hand. It's weird, Mm -hmm. but I can still use it. And I think having a bit of an understanding with pain allows you to better use your body without having to understand every single complex nuance of the pain pathways. No, exactly. You don't need to know the the brain, the specific parts of the brain that are firing and communicating with other. Like you just need... No, it is interesting to know though that that that's happening right because i think if you get a slightly i think just more of an understanding of things uh just gives you a bit more power to then um see them for what they actually are as opposed to getting caught up with the um more of these primitive evolutionary survival mechanisms that are very good but that are actually not necessarily the truth the the truth of the matter is oh here's what's actually going on so just simply taking the messages that our body is giving us at at um, face value will not get us very far. And the same goes for other other things. Like this is essentially um, like the body's just sending us signals all the time, and and knowing that these signals are not uh, they're not what you might perceive they are. Yeah, it's just it's a weird thing. Like it gets it gets into more of a deep uh, like what is. I think we can become a slave to our instincts 
from our evolutionary instincts if we mm -hmm. aren't uh, aware of them. And that might get us fairly far in life enough to actually perpetuate our genes and survive because that's all it cares about. So yeah. like evolution cares about survival for sure. Pain's part of the survival mechanism. Yeah, it doesn't care if you're miserable. It doesn't care if you're miserable. It doesn't Or you have care. pain all the time. It cares that you survive yeah. and reproduce and give your past your genes Exactly. Out. So, so that's kind of knowing, stepping above and saying, okay, so that's there to help me, this whole system. But if I'm more aware of like the things behind the system and what's going on, I have more power to, um, to just not necessarily control it, but just, uh, be a bit more, be a bit more in control of, of, of what's going on and kind of understand it better and not give it as much, not get it as much power, right. Yeah. Not be run by it. Well, I thought, I thought of a funny, I, I may or may not have consumed a certain, legal substance in Canada. And I, I thought of this analogy where one day I saw um, a kid at a park. I was out for a walk, saw a kid at a park, took a massive bale, like was just full sprint in like the little wood chip area and just blew a tire face plant. And I was like, oh crap, that probably hurt a lot. Immediately what the kid did, it was very interesting. He got up and he looked at his parents right away. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I obviously didn't have the identical situation going a different way, but he looked up at his parents and his parents didn't make a big deal out of it, right? Yeah. Whereas before I've seen a kid fall before and the parents are instantly like, oh my God, what happened? And they're all yeah. worried and the kid balls out crying. But the parents here were just like, it's okay. He fell. He looks okay. And yeah. then the kid looked, paused for a second and I was like, okay, well, they're not worried. So I shouldn't be worried. And that's fine. And then kept running around. And the parallel that I brought that to was, Someone falling is like someone getting pain, right? A runner gets pain. Yeah. The parent in that case is Google, is the doctor. And so they look to those resources to determine whether or not they should be worried or whether mm -hmm. it's all good. And guess what? Those aren't always the best resources. Feeling your body and understanding it is the best resource. Or the parents can be the actual parents. And I think the, the, the pain system learning can be present. Like that same kid is that updated his pain schema right there yeah. that situation so he has a bigger tolerance so, for falling on his face yeah but and it, but because of the interaction with his parents in a social context so the same parents because they acted that way and that's probably happened multiple times he's yeah. learning that oh well it's not a big deal exactly the, the other parent who's making a huge deal and and, and firing this person's alarm system is up over reinforcing time, it is reinforcing it so where does that kid become in 20 years 30 years 50 years so how we're bred from a that's young so true. I never young thought age about it like that. Um, that social uh, conditioning and the conditioning from our parents and our peers and, and all of that, um, we, you know, and, and if it, it goes both ways. If you if you hang out with a group of extreme sports athletes, I was watching this parkour video with uh, Dom Tomato, <laughs> and he he scorpioned himself and his neck his neck literally like bent in half and he, as he fell off this thing, and uh, and he literally like just moved it around and they were all laughing. And I was like, okay, so he, it looked like he sustained a spinal cord injury, but he was, he's like, oh, it'll feel better in a few days. And he was just moving it around. So he's hanging around a bunch of people who fall on their heads and fall on their necks. Yeah. So they're all just like laugh. They actually laughed. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I, like I'm okay with watching We're not saying falls. do that, but no, in that but circumstance, clearly it he works. Hangs he hangs out fine. with, they're a group of people who are used to falling and used to doing things that quote unquote hurt. But yep. then they brush him off because it's normal. And then it's going to happen the next day. Guess and what? He they, probably had a sore shit neck for oh, a yeah. while. But it wasn't but he, a catastrophic threat. Yeah. So you can hang out the circles you hang around in. Uh, it's it's the same type of thing. Like it, it's just like the social context of pain is yeah. huge. If you hang and around people, people that complain and whine about having chronic pain all the time, you're probably more likely to fall into that. Like oh, you sure. are the people you surround yourself with. Yeah. Right. Like the so I, like we we're just finishing up final edits on the curriculum. One of the new modules is the environment, 
And one of the ones that I really zoned in on is your social environment, the people mm-hmm. you are around. You are likely to become very similar to the people you surround yourself with. And choosing who you surround yourself with based on the values you have and the values that they have actually determines how easy it is to change your habits. Oh, for sure. And one of those habits is pain. Exactly. Like look at somebody like we looked at the kid. If you look at the example of the the parent. So what if you have a parent from a young age and the kids grows up with a parent with with chronic pain and their beliefs about pain are really off and they're awry uh, and they act a certain way. And, and then basically the, the child learns over time. Uh, and they're they're bred in an environment to learn that like this is what happens with their body and yeah. like I can't do anything I can't lift anything and I act a certain way. Man, so, you see so that, that with back pain all the time. Oh, exactly. my dad had a bad back, so yeah. I'm gonna have a bad back. Yeah, learned. We know someone like that. Oh, for where sure. they think their back pain is normal or natural because their dad has back pain. It's yeah. like yeah, you both sit all day. Well, and and or they're it's every, it's it's like everything around the pain. It's yeah. it's their whole experience with the pain and the way, but. Um, yeah, it's it's just like the, the learning effect of pain from not only ourselves learning and our body's uh, systems learning, but also learning through the cultural context, the social yep. context and everything like that. And uh, that leads us back to like the fact that just I think pain is just very, very complex and we cannot it, it's very clear at, by this point, it should be very clear that that. Pain can't be taken at face value and we need to dive a little deeper and be a little bit more like in investigators with people that we're helping, but also uh, with ourselves, we need yeah. to look at it a little bit deeper. And I think exactly. if we all take this approach of learning a little bit about it and knowing that it's complex, we can start to kind of shed a bit of light on it. And that's what's going to get us out of pain is is this getting slightly more aware over time and doing things that we know help with pain. For instance, the movement, the exercise, going towards the pain, looking at the pain, looking at things that provoke it, looking at things that we're fearful of doing and going towards them, not away from them yeah. and things like that. So, and I think that it feeds in like the key word that you said there was awareness. And I think, um, if you want someone to take responsibility for their pain, re- you know, we always talk about breaking up the word responsibility. This is from Gabor Mate into response able. In order to take responsibility, you need to be able to respond to that environment or that situation. Yeah. And in order to be able to respond to pain, to be able to respond to your pain, you need a base understanding of what the heck is pain? Why is it there? And what are the things that I can feel empowered to be able to do to affect that pain? Mm -hmm. And I really think we've just, like I said, we've gotten really comfortable shipping off that responsibility to the doctor or the physio or to the internet to tell us a bunch of weird things when we have to kind of put it back on board that process back to ourselves. And, and, and back to your p- clients and patients too. Yeah. Because a lot exactly. of it, as, as a therapist, I think a big part of my job is giving people permission to move, giving people permission to, to, cause a lot of times they've been, t- that per- permission has been taken away. Yeah, you're they, right. That's so it's huge. Like, no, no, it's okay. And, and like, we'll figure it out together. Like what, maybe like what the dose is or maybe what we should or could be doing at this point. But it, it comes back to like, you've been take the, the, the permission has been stripped and taken away from you. We got to give it back to you because yeah. the, this is what's going to help you. In cause the that's run. the easy way of doing it. Right. If you don't understand it, if something hurts, well, guess what's a really easy solution to give someone? Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Running hurts, don't do it. Yeah, Lifting hurts, don't do it. That is a terrible solution because that person's life requires them to do those things at some point. Yeah. And instilling fear in that and making them have an even bigger and bigger fear of that behavior, you know, is not the way to do it. 
No, it because actually... we are resilient, robust, and adaptable. And I think if, you know, one of the things in, um, in Greg Lehman's, those points that he has is one of them is you are strong and adaptable. Mm-hmm. You respond positively to stress. Like yes. these affirmations to give people as like little nuggets of awesomeness that they can feel, yes, I'm adaptable. Yes, I might have pain, but I can get rid of it. My body changes every single day. I think these are like the key, you know, anchors that people can use to be like, I can, I can get rid of this pain. Exactly. Like, what do we do with a person with a hip replacement first day? I worked on the joint replacement floor when I was in school. Get them moving. You get them moving. They don't like seeing you because they don't want to move because they were literally just, their, their femur was chopped off. Um, <laughs> they have a they massive have a, incision. Yeah. But what do we do? We found over time that the quicker we get them moving and the more we get them moving, the better they do. Yeah. Guess what happens? There's pain. Yes. There's pain because normal. Of all of the things present. But guess what happens? They move more and they get better quicker. And the pain goes away quicker than if they didn't do that. Yeah. What would happen if you took somebody with a hip replacement and said, okay, we're going to bed rest you for a month and then we're, and we're not going to move for a month. They, they, well, first of all, they can almost, they can die from that. Yeah. Second of all, that's not how we do things. Like this, we've found that, that, and again, pain is the thing that's consistent in all this. There is pain, but pain gets, goes away quicker if we move through the pain more in this yes. case. So again, you need data, you need data for your brain to process and essentially you know, in that case, you're getting rid of the fear of movement because it's scary as shit when you start to move after you just had your femur hacked off, mm-hmm. right? It's scary. So you need someone to help you and encourage you. And I think that parallel is actually a situation that a lot of people are going through, whether that's low back pain, you know, the parallel of hip replacement and just moving could be low back pain and lifting. Yeah. Right. It's or okay. You can put off yeah. lifting as much as you want. But when your neighbor comes over and says, can you help me lift this couch? Are you going to say no? Are you going to avoid those things? Are you going to do it and then get pain when you really didn't need to get pain? Let's lean into it and start to work safely back into being able to do it. Yeah. Then you get rid of the fear response. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we just have to help people get over the hump of fear of fear of movement. And I think like it's interesting taking this perspective and then seeing complex uh, chronic patterns of of immobilization, like frozen shoulder. Yeah. Like how much of frozen shoulder is physical? How much of it is the brain has made up its mind. It's no longer safe to move that joint and has Mm. essentially written it off neurologically. Mm -hmm. So you're no longer allowed to move it. For sure. Right. Like there's, there's some presentations that are just so interesting to look at with a different brain when it comes to understanding pain, understanding physiological tissue adaptations of like capsular tension and all that kind of stuff. And it's cool it's to get words out of people. And that's what, what interests me when I'm dealing with some of these people is again, getting, I like getting the words out of them. So if somebody like that is like, you, you, you just ask questions that, that, so they give you a response and the, the responses you get are often you hear the word fear a lot and I like getting it out of people. I'm scared. That's Instead what people of say, telling I'm people scared. you're scared to move it, you, you get it out of them and yeah. they're like, what did you, oh, you said you're, you're scared. Okay. You just said you're scared. So let's work with that. So it's, again, it's more powerful to get, get the stuff out of somebody because then it's like, they told you it, you're yeah. not telling them exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, and then it, and then it's like, oh, I, I heard you say that you didn't, you can't unsay that. Let's work with that. Because <laughs> right? then it's like, why are you scared? Yeah. We and can, a lot of times it's deeper. Well, I think I'm going to snap my arm off if I try and move it. Yeah. So if you're like, oh shit, that's an easy one to get rid of. Yeah. You're not going to snap your arm off if you try and move it. We're going to do it safely and, and systematically. And we're going to do something right now that proves that. Exactly. And then you're going to, you're going to see that. And then that's going to start the process. So yeah, it, it's, it's cool. It is cool. And I think the, I think the amount of people that are having pain right now 
right? Pain is not a natural state for humans. We're supposed to be pain free, right? Pain is normal and it's natural to come about transiently in small bouts as a signal for change, but it's not normal to constantly have pain. Uh, It is super non-constructive to have pain, but not be pursuing something to address that pain. Mm-hmm. Right. And and pursuing somebody to address that pain does not include doing things to take the pain away short term, whether that's alcohol, pain meds, whatever. That's I think that's a huge again, we all know how much the uh, pharmaceutical industry is. Of it, yeah. But I, I really think that they've done a great job at skewing this whole conversation with with the yeah. messages that people get. OK, we just got to clear the air. Right. Uh-huh. Like it's we're not same perspective with everything we're not saying we're right or know everything but we know there's a better way than just putting a pill in your mouth to kick the can down the road and postpone that pain until it literally stops you in your tracks Mm -hmm. so but it all happens through education it's all awareness if people know better they do better right if Mm -hmm. someone know understands pain and knows kind of where it's coming from or how to think of it then maybe they're the ones that are offered pain meds for the pain and say well let me just try and see if I can work this out. Or yeah. maybe instead of taking a full dose every day, I'm going to take a half dose to make it tolerable, but I'm going to work through it. Yeah. Like that is a powerful shift in the mindset. And once someone gets that little first taste of the fact that they are in control of being able to modify their pain because mm-hmm. they're with their body all day, every day, their doctor isn't, their physio isn't, um, then they're like, oh shit, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Right? How much more can I do? How much more of this responsibility can I take on? Yeah. And then crazy stuff happens where people are like, "Yeah, I don't have. I had pain for ten years. I don't have any pain whatsoever now. And when I get it, I'm not scared of it. Exactly. That's powerful. That's the thing. So, anyway, we hope that that conversation it kind of took a little windy road, but I think that's the best way to do these things, right? Is mm-hmm. not have a script to go by. Is just talk about whatever topics come up. Um, we hope that that was beneficial for you. We will definitely be doing. Like I think we should do a, a an episode on pain quarterly and just update, you and know, different aspects of it too. We can hone yep. in on different because there's tons of research studies on like simply just the like the parts of the brain involved in pain. Yeah. And we can dive into that. We can dive into other things. I too. agree. I think some of them would be fun to really nerd out on. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't think those will be beneficial to as many people, but those are the fun ones that you and me enjoy. And I think that rubs off on the professionals that are listening to this to get even like a really nerdy understanding of pain and pathways mm-hmm. and what is the current best understanding from the smartest people doing research on pain and how we can be better at dealing with pain. Uh, if you're a professional, empower people to understand their pain. If you're a person in pain, take strides to better understand it. If you're listening to this and you know someone that's in pain all the time, let them know to listen to this, right? We don't mm-hmm. make any money from this. It's just put out there to hopefully benefit people um, in giving them a better understanding of their body. So anyway, we hope you enjoyed that episode and it benefits you and uh, we'll catch you next week.